You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 182. We're back with an amazing interview with best-selling author Lisa Scottolini. Lisa is a New York Times best-selling and Edgar Award-winning author of more than 30 novels. She has 30 million copies of her books in print in the United States and has been published in 35 countries. Her latest post-pounding novel, What Happened to the Bennetts, will be published on March 29th. Uh, before we get to uh, the interview with uh, Lisa, a quick update. I will no longer be posting uh, weekly interviews uh, but you can still expect some amazing author interviews coming up. Uh, it's just going to be on a bi-monthly schedule. For show notes, archives, and to subscribe to my Thrilling Reads newsletter, uh, please check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcasting app. All right, here is my interview with uh, Lisa Scottolini. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me, Ellen. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited uh, to have you on the, on here and to talk to you uh, about your, your new books and your writing and all that good stuff. So can you tell us a little bit about your background before you started writing and publishing these novels? There was a log cabin involved. Now, I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to decide if I should go to my first divorce or my second. You know, that's not a sentence you want to hear yourself saying when you're trying to impress this new podcaster. <laughs> I, I think I used to be a lawyer, also a bad thing to go to. But I, uh, you know, you, when you get people to like, you never want to lead with that lawyer thing. But <laughs> in, in short, I would love, in short, I always loved books and I loved Nancy Drew. And after my first divorce, I said, I want to stay home with my daughter because she was born about the, the exact same time. That's really excellent timing. And so I said, well, you know what? Uh, why don't you try to write a novel? Because I was an English major. And of course, you know, everybody thinks they can. And the truth is everybody can write a novel. I mean, that is the God's honest truth. And I, I mean, if I can, anybody can. And the truth is I just started. And that was, you know, five years of terrible rejection. My favorite rejection letter I still remember. It was, we don't have time for any more clients. And if we did, we wouldn't take you. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> what a jerk. I know. And you know that I saw that guy like 10 years ago at Book Expo where I was at keynote. And he's like, Lisa, Lisa. I'm like, dude, I don't have time to talk to anybody. And if I did, I would not talk to you. That's how petty I am, really. I'm, this is oh, I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right? And um, so that was like 30 something years ago and 30 something novels ago. And God bless my readers who basically have built my career. I mean, they've stayed with me book to book. And I've changed genres. I write historical fiction now. I write humor. I just write whatever I want to write and try to make it really as good as I possibly can. And then I get to talk to you. So that's pretty much the update. Oh, wow. and So yeah, I noticed that too, that you, uh, your, your last book, uh, Eternal, was a historical fiction. And what happened to the Bennets is uh, like a psychological uh, suspense novel. Um, right. is, there, is there a lot of difference between like when you're writing the two? Is it like the different approaches or how does that work? You know what? It's so funny because I'd always written like, I don't believe in any of these genres of skin shows. And now I could, now I know I prove it to myself because I always wrote, whether they're domestic thrillers or legal thrillers or fast moving novels, I just think of them as fast moving novels. And then I secretly always wanted to write this novel eternal about this, basically a love triangle set during Mussolini's um, reign in Italy and then the Nazi occupation. And then I'm like, you know what? 
that's historical fiction. You're not allowed. Other people do that smarter than you. You know, all those insecurities that come up. And then I was like, just do it. And then, then I did it and it kind of worked out. God bless my readers who came and were like, cause I read the online reviews. They're like, I don't really read historical fiction, but I love this. And I go, well, that's wonderful. And so when I started to write Eternal, I, I mean, what happened to the Bennetts, which is a thriller in theory, I was like, you know what? This is no, I'm just going to tell you, Alan, from the inside out, it's no different. It is the same. I've always been interested in these three themes, love and justice and family. There's a through line through everything I've written, which I didn't start out that way. I just started writing books. And then I realized that I'm writing about the same things. And in different, you know, iterations and permutations and other long words. But the bottom line is, uh, that's what I'm writing. And so when you write what happened to the Bennetts, you go, well, this is the same issue. It's sort of family, you know, an injustice happens to a family and they have to survive it. And that's exactly what happened to it in Eternal. Although one set in Mussolini's Italy and one set in modern day Delaware. And what I've taught myself <clears throat> in answer to your question is that this distinction of setting and place and time is form over substance. The thematically they are identical, they feel similar. And I hope they have a kind of a rewarding, not only a surprise ending, but kind of a rewarding arc of these characters' lives. So in answer to the question, oddly, it's not different. It's the same. And so can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the plot of what happened to the Bennetts and what inspired you to, uh, to, to write it, how, how the idea came to you? You know, it's funny. The idea came to me. It's very... Um, it's not impressive, but I don't like tailgaters. <laughs> and it, <laughs> I live alone. I drive alone in the car. I got the dogs in the back. Only one has a seatbelt. The favorite one gets no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> but I only have one of those things. You can't hook them all into the seatbelt. Anyway, that's not a good deal. I was like, what if I were carjacked right now? What if this tailgater carjacked me? And I, when, I, when I went home, I said, that's the book. Basically, what happens and what happened to the Bennetts is that family's driving along from a soccer match one night and someone is tailgating them and they're carjacked and the carjacking goes horribly, terribly wrong. And they find themselves by the morning in the witness uh, witness protection program in federal protection. And boom, like that was the idea. And I didn't, you know, people say, do you know how it ends? I don't even know how it middles. I don't know anything. You know, it's not impressive, but I kind of sit there and go, oh, you know, kind of what would happen next? And that becomes the way that you construct the novel. I hope people who like, you know, who listen to your show or want to write, because if they do, I'll tell them that they can do it. And that's, you just kind of start and then keep going. Yeah, we do have a mixture of readers and, and writers, inspiring writers that listen to, to the podcast. So, so, That's great. So, that was my understanding. I'm yeah. Really so, yeah, I love this type of uh, that kind of insight from uh, from someone like you. But uh, so, you know, so obviously you don't outline or anything. You just get you just get the story going and you start writing. Right. I don't outline because I think, well, I can't. I'm just constitutionally would be impatient with it. And I, But I also think here's the two things I think in my defense, because there's people who outline and people who don't. If you. If I outlined it, I got to say that I really think that writing it would be like filling in the blanks. Mm -hmm. Like it would be kind of like a, I think like that would be like literary Mad Libs. Like she <laughs> does this and you go, wait a minute, I know what she does. And the other secret thing that I think happens is that you, when you write a novel where you don't really know what's going to happen next, I secretly think that your state of anxiety <laughs> <laughs> is what creates the suspense. Like if you're a master of suspense, it's probably because you're a freaked out writer. 
<laughs> I just thought of that, but I think it's a little true that you don't really know. So you can't, it ends up becoming a lot like life. You look at all the curveballs we've gotten that are awful. You know, the pandemic, now a war. You can't even, it's just horrible. And you can't even make this up. And what you kind of do, and especially with something like what happened to the Bennett's, because you're talking about a thriller that's set as a law enforcement angle. Well, you can't write a modern thriller in which, oh, let's see, everybody's good all the time. The, the police are always good. The judges, we, look at the, what our views of the Supreme Court right now. Yeah. I've been writing novels for 35 years. I can tell you that 20 years ago, nobody even could name one person on the Supreme Court. Well, now we have views about who should be on and who should be off. And we have views about the FBI that we did not have before. We have views about policing that we did not have before. And when you when law and justice is in so much flux and conceptions of law and justice are in so much flux, you have to write a, a thriller that is deals with those issues. It just can't be, oh, here's the good guys and they're on the cavalry. It's just not how it works. We know now that's not how it works. And so that's what's the backdrop of, of this book as well. Did you always like uh, before you started writing professionally? Do you do you enjoy like these type of genres? Do you, do you enjoy reading uh, thrillers? And well, I think I grew up on Nancy Drew, so that's mm-hmm. part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you get very used to a girl driving around in a car having adventures, and you're like, I want to be that, and I want to do that, and it's really good. Except then, when you get a little older, and you realize that. Well, honestly, in my part, I started writing in the 1990s, and a lot of the characters were men. They're all men main characters. And I was like, give me a break. At some point, I, I was just so tired of seeing, especially when I became a female lawyer, like, why aren't there women lawyer stories? Like, I can do this. And as an English major, I thought you should try and give it a try instead of bitching about it. Sorry. But I mean, you know, for some period of time, I had to eat myself alive, which is kind of my method, <laughs> until I finally actually do something about it. And um, so I think that's sort of what got me to where I am. I think uh, I just kept trying to do it and try to get better and try to refine the craft a little and pull in, live in the world so all of the world is there. For example, like in this novel, um, you know, he has to really think about himself as a man and a father. And I, at some point I started writing male main characters as well. I was close to my dad. Obviously, you know, I've met in my life. Not as many as I would like, but that's another matter. <laughs> and I, uh, I go, well, what is what is a hero? These, what is a father? What is a hero? My dad, I was really close to him. I, and I loved his personality and that he was, you know, he was heroic, but didn't really understand that about himself. And we're a society, but I just got back from the new, you know, I love superhero movies. I saw the new Superman, not just one Superman, three Superman. I mean, Spider Man. I mean, they're they're all like. We love superheroes. And I go, what is happening with this? Well, partly it's the ideas we put on men. You must be rich. You must be a titan of industry. You must be thin. You must be handsome. You must drive a great car. You know, what are the things we do to men? What do we tell them their personal power is? And what do we do to women? You know, what is a modern hero? Is he, because that's the problem with this character. That's his issue. He doesn't view himself as a hero in a way he is. But when this horrible thing happens to his family, he's got to figure out how to get them out of this. And at some point, I think I had him say, and I'm not giving anything away, just have him go like, maybe a hero is just a guy who solves a problem for his family. And that's not a bad definition. Yeah, I think that's one of these type of novels, too, is because it's kind of like, like regular people versus like the super cop. And 
Yeah, right. And or an expert. Yeah. I mean, the crime the crime bloggers are a good example of that. And part of what I'm talking about, like this democratization of everything, which is so great. You know, 20 years ago, there was people wrote true crime and rule and a bunch of other authors. And you read those books. Well, now there's people who brought blog about cr true crimes and try to solve them. And they crowdsource it and they get the documents and they talk to witnesses and they do all the things that they can do that law enforcement would do or if it had the time and the budgets. And God bless these people. They solve crimes. Well, I was like, well, I've got to deal with that in this novel. And that would be this situation we write for because what I learned from WITSEC, you know, which was a program designed to hide criminals, not normal law-abiding families with three million connections to the community is that you go that night and you don't say goodbye. So nobody knows where you were. I mean, Alan, you know, where would you be? All of a sudden you and your family disappear. People are going to go, wait, what? Wait, where's the cat? Wait, he was just on Facebook. Wait a minute. I just sent him a message on Instagram. He didn't answer it. That's weird. And so that's all the stuff that happens to a modern family. And what happens to this family in the program is because they're normal, they make great witnesses, but because they're normal, they'll flounder in WITSEC. They could go under in WITSEC. And so this father has to find it in himself to save his family against really, really hard odds. Yeah, so so fascinating too. I mean, it'd be hard enough, I would imagine, 30, 40 years ago to go in, into a witness protection. But now, like you said, with social media and Twitter and Facebook. And, right. And like, yeah. Right. I mean, like, you, you got to assume, like, luckily, most criminals, what my research was, and I mean, I have great sourcing on this because I spoke to somebody who was who helped run one of the WITSEC programs. And, you know, he was like, you know, most most criminals, when you put them in the program, they're happy, you know. They lost part of their life, but you're saving their life. They know that you're saving their life. And to a certain extent, they get a little stipend and they get put up somewhere. And but that isn't true in this case. This is you're you're saving their lives, but you're also ruining it at the same time. And ah, uh, that's a really, really tough. That's tough. It's no win. And that's what I had to have, you know, that's what Jason Bennett has to figure out how to save his family and how to win in a no-win situation. As you mentioned a bit about the research, the, how much research do you put in before you like actually start writing or do you do it like at the same time? Or? I do it at the same time because I, I, you know, like I said, I'm impatient. I can't be bothered. And, and also I think you find out what you need when you do it. Mm -hmm. Like I had to talk to the FBI guy up front. I go, what's the first move? Where does he go? And that's when I got my first surprise because I live in Pennsylvania. And I said, so if someone gets, goes to WITSEC, where do they go? Like you put them in like Arizona or like Minnesota <laughs> or San Francisco, right? And he's like, no, no, they go to Delaware. I was like, wait, what? Like Delaware's 20 minutes from me. Like it's not far. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this isn't what I thought. And he said, well, that's kind of what we do because there's an interim period where you have to basically be trained and oriented and accepted into the program. You're called applicants and the application process is really arduous. And I'm like, who knew this? It's like college or something. And, you know, it's like the college you never want to get into. With <laughs> that. <laughs> I just thought of that, but it's kind of true. And so I dealt with that research. And I think also that it was kind of cool to research setting because this, this character, you know, setting has to reinforce people who are writing out there. I want them to know that set, everything matters. Everything matters in a novel, particularly in a thriller, because you have to have an economy of space. You can't, we don't want to hear your exposition. We're not interested in what the sunshine looks like. It's just not the book for that. And so 
I sent him, I, I said, well, if he goes to Delaware, there's parts of Delaware. If you imagine that he was a farmer, he grew up in Hershey, Pennsylvania, which is a lot like where I live. I actually live on a farm and I'm a terra firma kind of girl. I, I plant, I grow alfalfa, I have a garden, I have tomatoes, I got a lot of crap. And he's that kind of guy. Well, if you send him to certain parts of Delaware, there's a salt marsh. And it's actually a good place to send somebody in Witsec because it's a beach town that's deserted in the winter. Perfect. Okay, but the problem is, and great for the novel, is that there's tidal salt marsh that basically kills the trees. And so there's things called the ghost forest, which is incredible to see. And I describe it in the book. And I took actually videos of it are going to be on the website. People can see them as a companion to the book. And you and and he's basically in a place where there's no more terra, terra firma. In fact, the tides shift beneath his feet. I'm like, well, that's a pretty good metaphor. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, even I can figure that one out. And 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 I like it because I think it it emphasizes his and his family's dislocation, that they are out of place and they don't belong here, and they have to have to find a way to acclimate to survive. Yeah, I love the metaphor. That's pretty cool. When that idea comes into your head, do you like get excited when you're writing it? You're like, ooh. That's Actually, good- I kind of do. Isn't that weird? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I live alone. I write alone. You're like, oh, my God, look at that. Look at that. That's a good idea. You get excited. You dance around. You're like, oh, baby. Like all your little things that you tell yourself. You know, I sing a little song. I have a little thing I do. And I go. And then you start getting, seeing all these connections. And we see a ghost forest. And you go, this is sort of interesting because – that's the term given to one. They actually, that's what ecologists call it when the, all the climate change happens and it kills the trees at the root. The, re, the trees don't fall over. They just turn white and it's kind of horrifying. And I went there at night and it looks like there's bones in the sky. And you're like, oh God, I can't even make up stuff as good. <laughs> <laughs> and then you start to think, well, let's see, let's say, for example, and it happens in the book that they have to leave everybody they know. And I go, well, they kind of ghost, they kind of ghost everybody they know. Okay, that's pretty good too. And then also they've lost, they have lost. And so they're living in a house essentially with ghosts. And you go, okay, baby, you know, <laughs> maybe this is this is having developing some resonant layers. Look, Alan, I can't tell you if anybody picks this stuff up. I don't know. But I will tell you that I have faith in readers that they do. And I have faith in their consciousness that it works on them like it works on me. They start to make these connections and it all becomes real for them in a way it wouldn't if you had it on this pavement in Chicago. That's just going to be a different book and have a different feel. And so what's your what's your writing day like when you're working on a project? Do you like, uh, do you have like set hours? Uh, do you put, give yourself word count goals? Or? I do the word count goals. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of that. And I would encourage anybody, anyone listening, any way you do it is right. Because it's very individual. And it's, but I work every day, like, except a day like this, I'm having fun talking to you. And uh, I do 2,000 words a day. Now, I start at nine and I don't stop till I have 2,000 words. A lot of times that will take me till six o'clock at night. A lot of times that will take me till nine o'clock. I just break up. I go around two o'clock, I'll eat something. Maybe I'll walk the dogs. And sometimes when I look away and people should take heart, you know, when you look away, sometimes an answer will come to you because, you know, in first draft, especially you're not fussing over verbs. Mm-hmm. You're trying to figure out what actually happened. Like, what are they going to do? And so that's hard thinking. Like your brain will hurt at the end of the day. <laughs> I go like that Monty Python, my brain hurts. Like it's <laughs> my brain hurts. And then. So I always do the first draft, second draft technique, which is the first draft is like Hemingway says, write drunk, edit sober. Mm. 
you know, like I don't obviously drink, but I mean, you get it down. You don't worry about how it sounds. You just have to tell the story to yourself. And then by the time you're done, you're, oh my God, this ended. Like the surprise ending is a surprise to you. <laughs> you're like, holy God, look at this. This kind of works. And then you're in pig heaven. Because to me, that's my happiest day. Because I go, now all I have to do is make it better. Mm-hmm. Now I know I have a story. So now I get to worry about taking out the sentences that I don't need, especially for a thriller. You don't, you want it to be fleet. So you have to take out stuff. You never tell the reader something twice because a lot of people, God bless them, will read a thriller in one sitting. So if you told them something on page 30, they're going to remember on page 65. You don't need to hit them over the head or bore them. You can't or not allowed. So you take it out. And and Elmore Leonard says, you know, I take out the parts people skip. Mm, I love that. And that's such a great quote. And I always thought that was kind of funny. And then yesterday I was writing and I was like, you know what? I finally can. 30 years it has taken me. But I said, oh, my God, I am not going to write that paragraph because people will skip it and I will later delete it. No one cares. No one cares. No one cares. No one cares. And particularly at the end of the book, you know, the beginning, you're establishing setting and things like that. You get to tell a little more details so people can picture it. As Stephen King says, imagine the scene and then reproduce it for the reader. That is the most essential, most brilliant, most succinct explanation of writing I've ever heard. And anybody can do it. Imagine the scene and then reproduce it for the reader. And so you learn that by the end of the chat, by the end of the book, they don't need to hear the great description of the office again. They know what this office looks like. They know what this swamp looks like. They just want to see what happens and how it ends. It's really a remarkable thing. And I feel very, very lucky to be engaged in this profession. I love books and I'm just thrilled to to write them and and, and read them, really. Yeah, that's so curious too because you have uh, over thirty novels. Um, does the process? Uh, the, I know I've talked to a lot of uh, authors, and they say that it never gets easier. How about for you? <laughs> no, it never. It, it never gets easier. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this though, I do think you get a little more confident. Mm-hmm. Not much, <laughs> not much, but you get a little more like. It's really important for people listening that when you make a decision in a story, I need the sentence, I don't need the sentence, or I'm going to turn this verb, this verb should be darted instead of bolted. It should be whatever. It should be raced instead of ran. Well, you know, I think a lot about verbs, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> and because um, verbs can really do a lot in a sentence and, you you know, you, you, you pay attention and especially in thrillers. And so now I've learned a little that my decision was right. I used to dither. And what's so weird is when you're right, you'll find that when you go back and you read your draft, you go, oh, I remember when I thought that should be darted and I change it to bolded. You actually remember. And finally, I've stopped going, don't second guess it. Just go with it. You were right. You're always right the first time. If I had listened to that, I would not be divorced twice. I'm just telling you that right <laughs> now. We, you know, uh, it's And it's really a true thing. Your gut is always really, your gut is telling you something and it happens and you you bring it with you when you sit down at the computer. I noticed when I was checking on your website that you uh, write a column with your daughter. How does that uh, collaboration with working with your daughter like that? <laughs> it's really fun. I write, um, so I write a humor column, which has been published in the Philadelphia Inquirer for the past 12 years every Sunday. But for people who aren't in the area, they can read it on my Facebook page. I post it on all of my 
uh, social media every Sunday morning at nine. And it's really, you know, it's kind of a little inspired by Irma Bombeck, who kind of just wrote about life as a woman. I mean, I'm kind of a woman on my own. I it made it into not, uh, you know, memoirs. And the first one was called Why My Third Husband Will Be a Dog. <laughs> it was really, you know, it was not man bashing. I'm just telling you, it was dog loving because I just, you know, there's so many women, you don't really know where your life is going to lead you. I mean, it's lovely. You're a lovely guy and it's lovely to be able to talk to you. And I never thought, wow, you have all these books and you wrote them. And how did that happen? But I also never thought that I would be so completely single. I'm in a, I'm in a room now with three dogs. I'm very <laughs> happy about that. They're very quiet right now, which is excellent. And, uh, and you don't really know where your life will lead you. And I just wanted to write about that because I know that there are a lot of women who are widowed or divorced or just on their own and men too. And I just wanted to give them a voice that maybe they weren't getting and also just laugh. You know, when you write enough about murders and heavy things and fascism, you know, sometimes you just want to crack a joke and it's not going to work in the novel you're working on, but it's really fun to just once a week write 800 words. And I must tell you, it helps me get to the point. You would not know it from this interview, but I, uh, you, all writing builds and feeds all writing. So never feel bad if something you wrote wasn't published. I mean, that's happened to me. I have an unpublished book sitting around and I lost it. When you write a short piece, it will help your long pieces be better. And that's what happened to me. So every week I'm writing something that's 700 words. So when I sit down to write 120,000, I know it will be better. And it is. So you so you write every day? Absolutely. Seven days a week. I, I'm lucky. I consider myself very lucky. And now the first draft, if you do the multiplication, probably takes you about a month to get at 2,000 words and tell me you don't always make it or you screw up or you have something. You probably come out with like, isn't it th- you'd come out with a like 60,000 words a month. Did I multiply that right? Which never really happens. You're, <laughs> sometimes you're lucky to get like 40,000. A book is 95,000. Um, and then you, then once you have a draft down and it used to take me, I used to, I, I used to be able to do one in four months. I'm getting back to that. And you're immersed. It's not like a pressure. It's great. This is what I wanted my whole life. I can't believe I get to do it. And you're so preoccupied. You know, somebody once, I think Jake Kasdan or some great filmmaker said, being a writer is like having homework every night of your life. And and the and that's true. But the work count goal is good because you also know when you can quit. Like if you get 2,000 words by three o'clock, wow. <laughs> you, you go, you know, you have, make a cup of tea and uh, go watch some dopey on Netflix or go for a walk and listen to an audio book. I mean, that's kind of like my life. And do you, so, use, do you use Word to write your books? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes I use dictation software too. When I have a really hard part, hard emotionally, it's hard. I get upset with the characters. You know, there are parts in this sounds like these characters are going through a really hard thing. And I'm, I'm sitting there weeping at my own keyboard, which is kind of weird. But I go, well, you, how can you get this? And just say it, just say it. And sometimes then I'll just say it. And I know I have something that I can work with and then make a lot better. But I, I love all this technology. I use all of it, and I think it's terrific. So uh, what happens to the Bennett? This is uh, going to be out on March 29th. What are you working on next? Can you tell us? <laughs> I can. Sure. I'm excited to. I just finished it. I mean, just finished. I'm, I'm closing in on it, man. I thought I was going to finish it this weekend. It's called Sacred, and it's historical fiction. And it's the rise of the mafia in 1800 Sicily. It's how the mafia came to be through the eyes of a family. Oh, awesome. That's I know. Good. I have not yeah. Yeah, I just pitched you, Alan. I hope. Yeah, yeah, no, I love it. You know, you know as much as my editor at this point. <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, 
Well, it's just kind of cool because, yeah, you, you see there's a lot of books about the mafia and all that, but not, not like the history like that. So that sounds really, really cool. <laughs> well, you're very kind to say that. I appreciate it. I, that, I would have been devastated. Well, that's a really stupid idea. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, oh, no. shit. <laughs> no, 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 that was real. That was real. I'm like, that sounds really cool. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> you're, you're <sweetheart. laughs> all right, Lisa. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, for our listeners, uh, lisascalini.com uh, is probably the best place to find you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so, so much on social media. Alan, I really appreciate this. Thank you so very much. Thank you for listening to Meet the Thriller Author. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with one of your favorite writers of mysteries and thrillers. Or if this episode's guest is new to you, I hope you give their books a chance. Helping listeners discover new authors and books is one of the coolest outcomes of doing this podcast. As always, you can head over to thrillerauthors.com to sign up to my Thrilling Reads email list. That way you won't miss out on any great deals in thriller and mystery books. You can also check out all the links and resources in the show notes for this episode over at thrillerauthors.com. And also please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already and leave a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, show. If you have done that already, I thank you. Uh, I really do appreciate your support. For my other links to my author website, social media haunts, and more uh, check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links all my links will be uh, on that uh, page so that's it for this episode Uh, see you next time and stay safe out there